Welcome to Connected Philanthropy. Today's episode is part two of a panel discussion featuring nonprofit professionals discuss the things they wish funders knew. This is just the Q&A section that happened at the end of our recorded webinar, and the first voice you're going to hear is our moderator, Tammy Tilsey. Let's dive right in. All right, these questions. We've got some great questions, and, and maybe our panelists have been looking at them. So if there's one favorite one you want, raise your hand and ask and answer it yourself. Um, I will uh, um, start out with this one um, that has received some some votes. What's the uh, best succinct question to ask that would clarify the organization's impact in the community? I think for for me, the problems and the struggles I have with answering impact questions are, are, are twofold. One, it's exactly what Anna and Stephanie and Diana have said is like long-term impacts. I can't, I can't give you hard data on our clients. Um, but, but second, it's, Impact can be, depending on the size of the grant and what we're doing, um, the impact may not be huge. It may be, uh, you know, a $50,000 grant may only provide home repairs for two families. But those are, you know, that's a big impact for those two families. But I'm hesitant to apply for a $50,000 grant um, if I only can say the impact is two families. So really think about um, your definition of impact and any threshold you might have saying, oh, this isn't impactful enough. Excellent. And so this is, thank you. And this kind of follow on to it, a question asked, um, okay, I've given people extra space to attach things and, and maybe an extra question to provide additional information. That's something that came out of this panel is a, a appreciated and a best practice. Um, any other tips on how to to get encourage nonprofits to put put something in there um, or uh, uh, attach that uh, additional information? I think it's more often that you don't see it. So appreciate that funder that that did it, and you all would have put something in it. But <laughs> maybe there may be nothing that you know we really have to attach to or. I think if you add a pair, you know, a, a sentence, I think Diane was saying that if you had a box where you will let us talk to you about our things rather than attach a picture or attach a uh, brochure. Well, we, we don't really have, you know, brochures for for our programs, but I'm happy to tell you a little bit more about the impact we do or the other the needs in the community. So. Perfect. Okay, that's good to test a question. You know, it's an optional question. Yeah, an optional question versus an attachment. Thank you. That's a great idea to test. All right. Another question we have here. Um, it's a question that we had planned but didn't get to. But what things besides, uh, like how funders uh, might assist nonprofits beyond the grant, or uh, uh, are there ideas there that you have? This question comes from Thomas of what obstacles or barriers do you encounter with government funders and uh, what can be done to help you through those systems and processes? So maybe uh, a funder or, or someone who's looking to help you there. That's a specific question. But if you don't have an answer to that question, are there other ways that funders can help? Uh, let's start with Diane. I'm like, oh, I have an 
<laughs> so I'm based in New York State. There's a very outdated portal that in theory might go away, but no longer really receives any support in terms of the pre-qualification process and like the, the tech behind it. But um, so I think when we think about the, the like process with government, it looks different in each state. It might look different in a county, might look different in a city. We know what's happening at the federal level. But I think that the biggest thing, whether it's a tech obstacle or an eligibility obstacle, the thing that is the most helpful to overcome whatever it is, because I think there's a lot of answers for how we could go about it, staff, help desk, something. Uh, there's the, the paid capacity in most of those situations where someone can help, but making it clear who or where is the someone that can help, right? The contact information in an RFQ, great, amazing, uh, a great a Grants Gateway help desk at the New York State level, also helpful. Grants.gov, right? We love their help desk. They're super helpful when you get into a tech glitch. Or uh, So just thinking about if you are on that government side, how do you make it clear? And this actually goes to Stephanie's earlier point about asking questions. When can you ask questions? How do questions get answered? If you can be transparent about where and how to ask questions, tech, programmatic, that will solve so many obstacles and barriers just across the board for us. Thank you. So um, how much time would you like to spend on completing an application versus how much time do you typically spend? So how much do you think it should take versus actual in some cases, maybe? That's a question from Sydney. Anybody want to take that? Zero. <laughs> I, you know, my expectation depends on how much um, I'm asking for. Obviously, a federal grant, I expect to take a lot more time than a $5,000 grant. I expect a $25,000 grant to have more, you know, details. So I think really looking at, here's how much we're, we're going to give. Here's how much information, you know, make it, make it, you know, a, a ratio there. So, uh, you know, if I'm going to ask for this much, I'm going to ask, I'm going to require this much information. I'm going to, you know, don't ask for a quarterly report for a $5,000 grant. You know, that kind of, of thing. So I think it's less the amount of time and more the kind of the return on investment, so to speak. Thank you. And um, how about in terms of questions that, uh, oops, I already answered that one. Sorry. Uh, asked and answered. Uh, feedback on demographic data questions. How do you how do the panelists feel about DEI specific questions on applications? Um, like if it's, is this being incorporated into your organizations? Do you have a DEI plan? Like what are the best types of questions or helpful or um, anything, I guess, in this area uh, Carla is asking? Does anybody have any? Stephanie, start us out. Um We've definitely seen an influx in the DEI questions on applications in the past probably 18 months. I actually can probably count more that have it now than that don't. Um, I think I think it's a meaningful question to ask, and I think it is a reflective question for organizations to look at. Um, but at the same time, I think there needs to be understanding that how an organization implements DEI work is going to look different for every organization based on their size, based on where they're located. Um, we, 
you know, I, I saw an application for a group I was working with that asked, um, you know, like, have you done a DEI audit with outcome of that? Because if you, and then it was like one of those, if you did, yes, you know, then how many um, DEI candidates have you brought on or uh, constituents have you served because of that? It's like, that's a very hard thing for some groups to manage because maybe you just did your DEI audit. And so there's no outcome for it yet. Um, the other thing to think about is at the end of the day, an organization um, might not be in a position to be doing any hiring right now. Um, so that might not be a valid line of questioning. So I think the DEI work is important uh, to acknowledge on grants, but just saving space that that work is going to look different for every organization. Our, our board is dictated by our bylaws that uh, a third of it's appointed by the mayor, a third of it's appointed by United Way, a third of it is, do I mean, we don't have what, you know, we don't have the ability to pick and choose most of our board. Um, and on the program side, we are also um, limited by fair housing laws on how we can reach out and who we can um, provide services to. So we can't legally focus on a certain um you know, race or, or with for our programs because that breaks the law. So, you know, asking those questions is is one thing, but also making sure that you are you understand the nuances that organizations are facing. Great, thank you. Um, I think this may have been asked and answered, but just to see if there's any others, uh, Debbie asks how much and what type of information would you like to see on a funder's website about grant cycle. Like all the information, all, all of it, <laughs> everything. You can't put too little on there about it. No, but most importantly, if you have a funding cycle established, maintaining your funding cycle and not changing it year over year. Um, if you have established funding priorities for your foundation, maintaining those and not changing your funding priorities year over year again, because we all plan multiple years out and uh, budget multiple years out and make partnerships for programs multiple years out. So um, definitely being being uh, thoughtful about that process yeah. is important for all and of us. And I think it's, you know, when decisions are expected in addition yeah. to when applications are due is just amazing. So then I can tell my boss, oh, we won't hear from them for six months instead of them asking me every month, have you heard from them? Have you heard from them? And I guess one thing too is put a grant contact, ask for a grant contact, not just the executive director, please. And then mm -hmm. use that grant contact. Don't don't call the executive director if you have a grant contact. You will get much faster <laughs> answers if you call the grant contact. And then the grant contact will know what the answer was, <laughs> regardless of where they, they had to get the answer. Um, excellent. This uh, other question I'm excited about, uh, Diane, you mentioned serving on uh, a grants review committee uh, from Thomas. As a grant seeker, does the opportunity to review grants as a grant panelist seem like a worthwhile development and learning opportunity? Is it beneficial for funders to ask or is it insensitive to ask applicants for more of their time to do this? So they're, I, I love that, that asking the question and the compensation of time, uh, realization that it takes time um, in addition to the could, 
I think it's a great development opportunity. Diane always gives examples from doing it. Yeah, I think it, it it's an amazing professional development opportunity. I do it because it keeps, I mean, I started as a grant maker, so I love continuing to do that work. But for anyone that's in the grant field to get the chance to be in the be on the other side, step in those shoes, it is. It's eye-opening to see how do you react to the way something is presented. But what it makes me think of, you know, honoring what is the time, what is the expectation, there's two things that can come up. Uh, what's the time commitment and sort of the pressure because of the relationship dynamic to participate, but also is it going to create any sort of conflict for them in the process? But I think uh, actually like United Ways are often a really good example of how organizations might have community panel members, but then also are in the cycle and how they can keep them separate. So I think there's ways around it, but it takes a lot of sensitivity to the relationship. You are offering something of value. It also helps you in the process to have a voice from funded groups at the table, but uh, yeah, careful in, in that equity sense of the, the relationship. But yes, being a reviewer is helpful. And that makes me make sure that the opportunity is meaningful, that if I'm spending the time to review and offer my opinion, that I feel like that information is actually going to be used and important to the organization. One of the things Diane mentioned is we have a, a foundation in New England and they fund organizations throughout all of New England. And when they have all of the applications and then they send them to the potential reviewers and I like to sit on their review panel, they send us a list of the applicants and we have to select if we are involved with them in any way. Do we volunteer with them? Do we sit on their board? Do we know staff at the organization? Are they local in our community? Um, and that helps us really, it, it makes it so we're not coming in, you know, and coming in to have a preference with a certain application and their pipeline. So. All right. Um, the last uh, one of the last questions, we're running up on time here. Um, there are, are two questions here and I want to give you a chance to pick which one you'd, you want. But uh, well, no, let's let's do a quick round on what's the best feedback you've received after being denied, aside from no feedback at all. And that's that's something that came across as being able to know whether you're awarded or not is very helpful. So, OK, let's assume that. But if you're not um, getting some feedback, what's been some helpful feedback you've received? Uh, speed round. Diane. The opposite. It's nice. I very much appreciated when you give feedback of any kind when you get denied. Have you considered the capacity of your organization giving feedback when you say yes to an applicant? This is someone that is one of your funding partners. What you are telling them is what stood out for you, what you really liked so that they will hopefully do it again. Repeatable process, always good. And also, while it's not a rule for what will work for another foundation, you're helping to set them up for potentially some additional sustainable funding. So I, I would actually encourage you to really think about how you provide feedback when someone gets an award. What did you like? What was really helpful? What was meaningful out of their application that you'd like to showcase? Thank you. I love that twist on that. How about you, Stephanie? Um, I would say... For us, it's definitely um, being open to provide feedback. Um, it's kind of amazing to me how many foundations we work with um, or that we apply to, and not just at my organization, but other organizations who, if you reach out for feedback after a denial, they just don't respond. Um, and it really can help us be successful on other applications and maybe with your foundation later. So I think making space within your um kind of uh, application process 
and approval process to leave space for that feedback. Um, you know, sometimes we'll get a very generic letter back from a foundation that says, um, you know, there were just a lot of applications at this time. We couldn't fund everyone. Uh, but we actually just got one the other day that, you know, was very clear that they're going to refocus their funding. Um, they know they've funded us for a long time, but they're going to refocus and maybe we should try again in a year or two to see if something we have is in better alignment. So even just that like little snippet in a denial letter was very helpful because it allows me to better plan for the future. So following Stephanie, just if we come to you for feedback, talk to us, have a conversation, give us feedback. I understand that the the letter that goes out, we had a ton of great applicants. You know, that wording is probably very true. But if you provide a avenue for feedback and we come to you for feedback, talk to us about our specific proposal and why it didn't get funded. Is it, um, did you decide to go a different direction? Is it, the impact wasn't great enough. That kind of information can help us decide whether it makes sense to continue having conversations with you or if it's just not a good match funding-wise. I don't want to waste my time applying again and again to an, a, a foundation or a funder who's not interested in in what we do. Um, and even if it's close to what we think you're funding, we just, it's better to have that conversation. I'd much rather spend time in that conversation with you um, over, even if it's over time. I mean, I've had, I met with uh, a funder for probably close to 18 months, every six months, touching, you know, touching base with them. Um, and then we were funded, you know, last year. That is, I love that. I would much rather do that than blindly applying um, for, an, for a foundation application that I have no chance of getting or just is not of interest to your board or your review committee. Excellent. Um, we have one last question. Regarding the surprise follow-up questions, how are follow-up questions after a site visit in the application phase received on the applicant's end? Is it anticipated or time-sensitive? So I think what they're getting at is if we do a site visit, we ask and answer questions, and then the site visit's over, and then all of a sudden you have to type them up, I guess, <laughs> in in uh, um, a follow-up report question. Um, is that appreciated to, to be able to do it, or is that unexpected or something else? I would say if you submitted an application, you have a site visit, the site visit should be an opportunity for you as a funder to be asking your questions that you want answered, but then we don't need to submit one more thing. Um, you know, typically I know when we schedule site visits, it's always the executive director, myself, our director of operations, if it's like a capital project or it's the program director, if it's a program request. Um, so I think making sure you go in with the questions that you want answered is important. Um, and I also think then being respectful that, you know, there are other deadlines on our plate. So now that might be one thing you want emailed over that's really quick and we can do that. But, you know, I have seen funders that do a site visit and then come back with 10 more questions that like, then their board asked. And it's like, invite your board to join the site visit with you. You know, we have a foundation that brings as many members of their board when they do a site visit with us. And it's, opens a really meaningful conversation. 
Yeah. And I think I think I always anticipate follow up questions. I don't think they're ever um, unwelcome, but I think the key is the turnaround time. Don't please don't send me even one or two questions and expect a 24 hour reply back because I may be on another I'm I'm, I've most likely moved on to my next app, my next deadline, which is probably, you know, the day after you're wanting this. So I just think about, you know, how much time can you allow them to answer? Can it be a week? Can it be two weeks? When do you actually need the information? Excellent. One last thing I crowdsourced. Well, what's your number one thing that you would want funders to, you wish they knew? And, and it was that the running programs, running a, a nonprofit, um, surprisingly takes money <laughs> in addition to the money to fund the program. So supporting general operating or not restricting unrestricted funding was the number one, you know, just just recognition that 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 is is something that uh, government recognizes it, and and the more foundations and others that recognize and help fund that as well as very much appreciated. And that's the number one thing they brought. So this has been appreciated. And we so appreciate the panelists and all of you attendees making the time for this discussion. Um, Kelly, do you have anything else you'd like to say? Thank you all so much. We really do appreciate the panelists and the attendees. Um, you all are doing such important work out there. We appreciate so much. And we're thrilled to be, to be able to be part of it with you. So thank you. And we'll see you soon. Thank mm -hmm. you.